Well, we, uh, by the way, our worship team does an amazing job. And I do not give them the credit that they deserve. We, we pulled a quick one because Alyssa wasn't feeling well. Um, and so it was like we lost our piano. And so I was like, we need to figure this out quick. And so they just pulled it off, changing things. We changed scripture reading, uh, which was a long portion today. But I wanted to uh, do that because it's prevalent to our to our text today of where we're going to go in the sermon. Um, but just a great job all the way around from all the crew, Val changing songs for us at the last minute to try to pull it together, and uh, Dave upstairs and, and Austin, the, everybody on this team. There's a lot of people behind the scenes in a church. And obviously there's a couple of us that are up front, but it, it, takes, it takes a small army to pull it off. And so they do an amazing job. I, I just want my hats off to them because they do it not really for you. Uh, they do it for the Lord. And uh, that's really what it's all about. Uh, that's why we're here this morning um, to study his word. Um, and so um, I'm going to ask uh, just for my own heart to calm down, um, to, to open in a word of prayer together. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we, Lord, we thank you for caring for us. Lord, we know that even right now with the Moyers being down, Lord, you are caring for them. You are the great physician. And so we pray for them. Lord, we know we don't fully understand, but we know, Lord, that you use our prayers, that you bring glory to yourself, that we know, Lord, that your will will be done. But Lord, we do ask, Lord, that you would heal them. Lord, we do thank you for Pastor Tim and for his... Um, continual striving to bring the greatness of your word out, that we may hear it, that we may understand it. Uh, Lord, I thank you for him, for the partnership that we've had over the last 18 years to be together. Um, and Lord, to, to support one another, Lord, I, I truly consider an honor, Lord, today to be bringing your word. And I pray, Lord, that your word would be seen and heard. Lord, that... Um, that your word would, would shape our hearts and our minds, that we would be conformed into your image because of it. Lord, that you would take me off the stage and that all of our hearts, Lord, would be united in, in understanding how great of a God you are, that you love us the way that you do. Lord, help us to be the people that you've called us to be. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity today to study your word, May it be seen and may it be effective in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so Pastor Tim gave me the phone call yesterday uh, around 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And <laughs> it was like, wow, okay, here we go. So, and, and I knew he was sick. I could tell he was not just his normal self. So we were up in Jackson. And so I love, I love this time of year. Um, my parents came back from Arizona, so... We went up there, my brother and his wife is up there. And so mom was planning to have a family dinner um, last night. And so we were up there and um, all of a sudden I got the phone call and immediately it was like, oh, switch gears. You know, like, like, I gotta get this ready. And so mom had, she was getting ready for lunch and, and so um, we were, I told Trish that I, I need to go back. I need to go back, I need to start studying. So. She said, she goes, yeah, I kind of figured that was going to be the case. She said, 
can we play one more round of Mario Kart? <laughs> you got to understand, for us, uh, the playing games is part of the Christmas season. And, and last night's dinner was supposed to be kind of the capstone of this is it. Mom and dad fly out today, and so Trisha said, can we play one more round of Mario Kart? And I said, sure, why not? So we all jumped down, sitting there, all playing Mario Kart. My wife is very good at Mario Kart, by the way. She, <clears throat> she will play it better than almost anybody. My dad is very good as well, but uh, we jumped down, we played a game of Mario Kart, and uh, I, uh, we packed up and, and headed down. And, and it was kind of sad. It was kind of a... My mind obviously was racing as we were driving through the canyon, uh, thinking about the sermon, because I had no idea. I mean, where am I going to go? What am I going to preach on today? I really didn't know per se. Now, I've always got things that I'm working on, okay? But that doesn't mean that I'm, like, ready to go. So uh, we're driving back to the canyon. It was pretty quiet, pretty somber. And I was just reflecting. I missed that dinner, which was kind of, kind of big to me. But at the same time, it was like, I knew this is what I needed to do. I knew I had to get ready. And, and yet it was like, oh, that's it. It's the end of the Christmas season. It's kind of how I felt. Kind of like, because it's my favorite time of the year. Christmas is my favorite time of the year. I love Christmas. And I was thinking about why do I like the, the Christmas season so much? What is it about the Christmas season that I, that I cherish so much? And obviously it's the games. It's the playing Mario Kart. Probably not as much as you, but, but playing Mario Kart. But you know what it is? It's the family meals. The family meals. Honestly, as a kid, I used to hate the family meals because you sit there and you say, can I be excused yet? And dad would say, no, you can't be excused yet. So you sit there longer. And now as I'm an adult now, supposedly, I, I love the meals. Now, not just because of the eating, although that's always good, but I love just sitting, talking, reflecting, enjoying that time together. And, and as I look back upon the years, I have all these memories of those dinners together. I, I want to take you from memorable dinners into another memorable dinner that Jesus was at. Jesus, of course, ate with lots of people. And there's one situation where, where he's eating with a group of people, and it was very memorable. It may be very memorable for you as we go through the text today. And, and it was memorable, I'm sure, for the people that were there. Although, for some of them, it wasn't necessarily a good memory. Maybe it was a time where they were reaching, trying to find their antacids. It could be this morning that this is going to be a great passage of great memory for you. It may be challenging for you. It may be a time of great rejoicing. And there may be some of you where you're going to be grabbing your purse trying to find your acid today. And I want to take you to the text. And it's going to shape you in different ways depending on where you're at in your walk with the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke is where we're going today. We're going to be in chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Jesus has been invited to a dinner party. And uh, this dinner party that he's been invited to, well, it's not going to go uh, 
as joyously and as positively memorable as you might think. Um, I'm going to set the scene. We're really going to focus on the latter half of the dinner party tonight. We're going to focus really on verses 12 through 24, but I need to set the stage of what's happening and how we got into this dinner party in the first place. Um, It really starts in chapter 14. Jesus most likely... Uh, has gone out and he's been teaching in the various synagogues. And so Jesus is there and he's teaching. And and after teaching as a rabbi, it was customary for them to go to a a house to eat afterwards. Now, now rabbis in that time were not like Pastor Tim and myself where we're in the same church week after week. Uh, For them, they roamed. They traveled. So they went from one place to another and they were invited to come, they came and they taught, and then they would have a meal together, typically with the, the leaders of the synagogue, which also happened to be the leaders of the community. Why? Because back then, the religious leaders were the well-educated ones. So you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. They are the ones who are, who are very high up on the education level, but they're also the leaders and the, and the, and the rulers, if you will, of, of the town and the community that they're at. So these are the, these are the upper enchilon people that Jesus is going to go over to this, this guy's house. And, and we see here that uh, in... in verse 1 of chapter 14, that this is a very prominent uh, Pharisee that, that he is going over to this guy's house. And not only that, but he is bringing with him now a group of people that are all going to come and they're going to share a dinner together. But, but here's the problem. I, I have a feeling that the sermon, if you will, did not go so well because it te- says in the text in verse 1 that they have their eye on Jesus. They are watching Jesus. Because something has happened, and they didn't like exactly everything that Jesus has said. Now, we also find that, that within this group of high uh, affluent people that are there, there's also somebody that's there that's kind of out of place. And we're going to see exactly how out of place he is, but he's very out of place. It's a man who has what is called in the text dropsy. He, he has a condition uh, really, it's an old term, an old word, but, but really, it's the idea that he's retaining fluid. Here's somebody that, that probably, their heart's not pumping according to normal, and so their, their, their fluid is pooling either in their arms or their legs. It's probably the situation that we have. Now, this is a guy that I don't think normally would have been there, but he's, he's been brought in to the situation, and you have to ask yourself, why is he there? Well, we kind of pick it up in the text of, of why this guy is, is probably there. We know that it's the Sabbath day. Of course, Old Testament law, keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Of course, the, the Jews of that time, they had taken these, these um, uh, Old Testament laws that were given and they had ratified them to try to make themselves puffed up and make themselves um, do better at keeping laws. So for them, it was... You know, you're not allowed to do anything on the Sabbath day, right? Nothing was to be done on the Sabbath day. Well, all of a sudden, here's this man who's there. Jesus has done many miracles. He's healed all kinds of people. And here's this guy that's there, and we kind of, well, what's he there for? Well, I think Jesus was being set up. The Pharisees had brought, I think, this guy in to see what, how he would handle this guy. Would he actually heal on the Sabbath day? 
And Jesus even says to him, is it, is it right for me to heal on the Sabbath day? Of course, what does he do? He, he comes and then he heals the guy. And then very interesting, the text says that Jesus sent him away. Now this was a man that was brought in by probably the Pharisee to say, hey, would you be my guest at dinner? Right? Come and eat with us. This guy comes in and it's totally a test to see is Jesus going to heal this guy? And then what does Jesus do? Jesus heals him and then he sends him away. And the crowd, the rest of the group that's there, they say absolutely nothing. And Jesus turns to him and says, hey, how many of you, if you would have had a son or a donkey that's fallen into a well, how many of you would have gone out on a Sabbath day and picked him up and helped him out of there? And again, they say nothing. Jesus is on to their tactics. They're trying to trip him up. And Jesus isn't going to have any of that. Now, all of a sudden, the story breaks out. Probably a little bit of silence going on because they're all trying to figure out exactly what's going on and how do we handle this. And all of a sudden, they start picking chairs. Now, you need to understand the culture back then. We, we go into our house and everybody just kind of sits down. Okay? Now, I've been to certain dinner parties before. And the host of the party will simply say, hey, Matt, why don't you sit there? And Trisha, you sit there. And Caleb, you sit there. Annalisa, would you sit over there? And, and they kind of divvy us out. Now, in that culture, where you sat at the dinner table showed how high of a rank of, in society you were. The more important you were, you sat at a different spot of the table. Maybe we think of it maybe a little bit like this way. The head of the table right? You sit maybe at the head of the table because that's the most prominent spot, right? Maybe the most elbow room, at least that's usually how it is, I think, in, in most of our homes. But for them, they had a pecking order of where they wanted to sit. And so all these high afflutant people are peacocks, if you will. They're all strutting their stuff. They're putting up their tail feathers and they want everybody else to know how wonderful they are. And so they're picking their seat, they're trying to go out there and pick. Oh, oh I, I think I should. That should be my seat. They're going up there and they're pulling out that chair. And, and Jesus, Jesus does something. Jesus is kind of just standing back watching this. Jesus is, now, now really, who should have the main seat? Jesus should have the main seat. He's the invited rabbi to come and teach. But the rest of them are sitting there. Now, the only one that's really got a, a for sure seat is the Pharisee who has invited all these other people because he, it's, it's his party. So they all came to his party. He's going to make sure that, that they're all sitting in the right spot. Jesus, I think, is sitting back as he's watching all this pecking order of all these people that are coming. And Jesus is going to do two things in the text as we're going to see here before we jump into verse 12. He, he's going to go after the guests that are there. In, in fact... He's going to, if you will, dishonor the guests. And then second of all, he's going to dishonor the host. Now watch how this happens. Look what it says there in, in verse, uh, let's see, verse 8. As they're picking and choosing their spots, he says this, when you, invite, when you are invited by someone into a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who has invited you both will come and say to you, 
give your place to this person, and then you will begin uh, with shame to take the lowest place. But instead, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all those who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself, he will be humbled. And he who humbles himself, he will be one now who is exalted. Now, now really, all these guys have just kind of picked their seats. Jesus has just blasted them. Do you understand that? Jesus has just put them all in their place. And he all just said, you guys think so highly of yourself. And really, you ought to be sitting down in my seat down here. Because I think Jesus took the lowest spot. Probably the corner of the table. You know what I'm talking about? The one where the leg moves on it. You ever had one of those? Maybe the crack and you have an uneven, I don't know, whatever the case may be. But Jesus is at the lowest part of the table. And he calls them all out. None of you should have that position. You should let the host bring you up. Instead of exalting yourself, you peacocks. And that's really what he's, what he's saying to them. He has just dishonored all the guests. They all hate Jesus right now. Can I just say it that way? Now, if you think that that's kind of like bad, this is, this is awkward, it gets more awkward. It gets more awkward, believe it or not. Look at verse 12 as we kind of start to jump into this. And then he said to the man who had invited him, this is the Pharisee, the religious leader, who's hosting this party. He said, when you have a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid as the resurrection of the just. Now, a little bit of, of again, cultural setting. The, the Romans did this. The Jews did this as well. When they, when they had a, a feast, this was not a potluck. When we have, like, you know, if you have people come over, hey, that's what you always say. This is the proper thing to say is, hey, what can I bring? Right? You ladies all know this, right? Because you're all thinking, okay, what do I got to bring to this thing? Is it, am I a salad? Am I a, this is not the situation of what's happening here. Okay? The host is preparing all the food, but there's an expectation. Okay? If I have this guy who's, who's fairly prominent in the community, if I sit him at the place of honor, when, when he has the next banquet, guess where I'm going to be sitting? You see, these guys were all just trying to up each other. That's all it was about. It was, it was about making sure that I look better. And the more I, the, the, the better I treat my guests, the more that they will treat me well. And that's all what, it's, that's all what it was to them. Okay? And, and so they were always inviting their friends. They were always trying to impress other people. And Jesus says, hey, you invited the wrong people. Again, he's slamming the guests that are there. But he's now slamming who? The host. You invited the wrong people. Instead, you, you ought to invite, notice what he says, he says the crippled, the lame, the blind, and the poor. Right? These are the people that you should be inviting to your dinner party. Why? Because they can't repay you anything. 
Now, a Jew would never have invited these people into his house. In fact, I don't think the guy that had dropsy, I don't think he was invited into the house. He was invited simply to set Jesus up. They weren't really trying to give him a meal. You know why? Why did they not invite these type of people to come into the house? Well, there was a theological understanding of that time that if somebody was crippled or lame or blind or things like that, that they were people of great sin. There was a reason that they had this condition. Do you remember the the situation in John chapter 9? Jesus is walking with his disciples and they see a blind man. And the disciples said to Jesus, they said, hey, who sinned? Why is he blind? Was it because he sinned or was it because his parents sinned? And Jesus ends up saying, that's not why he's blind. He's blind because God's going to do something great with this man. And God's going to be magnified through this. This has nothing to do with the fact that he sinned. But that was the thinking of the day. The thinking of the day was anybody who who had these ailments, they, they were people of great sin, and therefore that's why God had put them in their spot. That's why they had the ailments that, that they were dealing with. Of course, we know from Jesus pointing out uh, the, the Jews, they all looked pretty good on the outside, didn't they? In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, verse 27, Jesus says, you know what? You guys are all whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, but you know what's inside? You're full of dead man's bones. That's how they were. They, they were people that thought very highly of themselves. They, they washed up well on the outside, but when it came to their soul, they were not about God. It was all about themselves. And so that's the situation that we have here. That Jesus, he has just blasted the guests, and now he's just blasted the host. Talk about an awkward moment. What do you say? What do you say? Now I want to pick up the text here because this, to me, you think, oh, this is, like, how, how's he going to get out of this one, right? Look at what it says in verse 15. Then one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, and he said, it's kind of like blurting out, like, I, I think this is like all of a sudden, I'm going to break the tension, right? He said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And in my mind, like if I'm placing myself there, like I'm sitting like thinking the guy is sitting next to him is like, how's it going? Way to go. You know, like this is good, you know, or, 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 or like maybe it was raise your glass. Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. You know what they probably all would have done? Raise your glass. Guess what? Jesus doesn't raise his glass. Oh, great. It's another awkward moment. Jesus, Jesus does not raise his glass. In fact, he's going to take exactly what that guy just said, and he's going to dice apart the whole conversation of what he just said. He's going to shred the guy up one side and down the other. Um... Go with me to Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah 25, I want you to see when he makes this comment 
this comment is actually something that, that came and they've talked about. It's a conversation that they've dealt with throughout history. When you go back to the book of Isaiah, okay, get this in your mind's eye, you're going back 700 years. This guy, when he raises his glass, if you will, and, and he says, blessed is everyone who eats in the kingdom of God, he's actually referencing something that Isaiah talked about, I think back in Isaiah chapter 25. Look at, look at verses 6, 7, and 8. He says this, Isaiah 25, verse 6, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined, and he will swallow up on his mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples the veil that is spread over all nations and he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people, that's very important, the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Here we have mentioned here this fact that there's going to be some type of banquet. Do you see that? Now, very important, I circled this, at least in my, in my Bible here and by the way, thank you very much. I'm getting my Bible worked on. I hate this little Bible because I can't. So I'm like looking at it, trying to figure it out. But there's a word that's really important, okay? It's the word all. There's the word all for all the peoples, verse 6, okay? Verse 7, all peoples. Verse 8, all nations. Verse 8 again, all faces. Do you see that? Okay, at least in my English Standard Version, I usually preach from the NAS. But in the English Standard Version, we have this repeated, all, all, all. Why? Because God is going to bless all peoples. But that was 700 years before what we have when this guy's raising his glass up to make a toast. Now, how is this all tied together? Well, we're going to see here in just a little bit, but it all comes back and it all stems from Abraham. Because God said in you, Abraham, I will bless all the people. Okay? Now, the Jews, through time, have this issue where, you know what? It's really just the Jews. It's really not all people. It's, it's really just us, his chosen people. And so when he raises his glass up and he says, blessed is everyone who is in the kingdom of God, he's really saying, us. Blessed are us. But what did it say back in Isaiah? No, it's all. It's all. And so Jesus, he's, he's, going to, he's going to wreak havoc now on this dinner party. Notice what, what, what he says. Jesus gives a parable and he says, A man once, once gave a great banquet and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Jesus is giving a parable now. He's giving a story, okay, to those group who are sitting there around this table who think very highly of themselves after just blasting them. And he, he, he makes mention of the fact here that there is now a person who is going to give a great banquet. And he is inviting lots of people. Now, you need to understand in that culture, they did something that we kind of do in our culture, but not to the same degree. They have what was called two invites to a party. Okay? 
So think about it this way. Think about a RSVP. You have a wedding party and you're going to get a invitation to the party, right? And they are saying, will you please come? Will you RSVP? Will you reserve your spot so we know you're coming? Okay, there's an expectation now of saying yes or no. Now in our culture, we have a maybe. But in that culture, you didn't have a maybe. It was a yes or it was a no. And it was okay to say no, I'm not going to be able to make it for some reason. But, but you, if you said yes, you were obligated now to go. You are going to that party. There was no backing out. There was, I am now going to this party. Now, there was a second invitation, okay? The, when, when you sent out your RSVP, if you will, to say, yes, I'm coming to this, they're calculating how many people are now coming to their party. If you had eight people that were coming, okay, we need two chickens, right? If you have, if you have 15 people that are coming to your party, okay, we need a goat, right? I mean, this is how, this is how, now this is how we work too, right? I mean, if you send out all these invitations to say, come, you're trying to figure out, hey, how much, how much food do I really have to prepare? Now, there was a second invitation. The second invitation was, hey, guess what? It's ready. It's ready. Now, I want you to, to think about, um, at least for us, having our Christmas dinners. Um, on New Year's Day, I was in charge of grilling. I was grilling the steaks, okay? And of course, every, all the other pieces of, of the meal are coming together, and I'm out outside in the cold, right, flipping steaks. That was my job. We had elk steak for, for New Year's Day. I'm out there flipping steaks, out on the grill, and I came in, and I said, hey, it's ready, and I'm bringing the plate in. And then what does everybody do? Everybody comes to the kitchen, right? Everybody's coming into the kitchen because we're all going to gather our food, put it on our plate, right? We're going to pray first and do all that. That's not what happens at this banquet. We have the first invitation that goes out, how, many, how much food am I going to prepare? And he's sending out a huge invitation to a lot of people. This is a great feast. Many people are coming. We're talking about a lot of food, right? But I want you to notice what happens when it comes to the second invitation of saying, hey, the food's ready, come and get it, right? Notice verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yokes of oxen. And I, go to, I need to go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I can't come. Now, commentators will tell you here there's a little bit of a cadence that's going on with this, okay? I'm going to come over to the piano because you can kind of hear this, I think, the, the idea of the cadence here. I do not play the piano, okay? So this is... This is pretty rough, but I can do this. You ready? This is, it's like this. That's the cadence. This is something that's going to, like, it, it's standing out to all of them. Okay? I, I, I have this situation. I bought a field. I must go examine it. Please excuse me. Right? Second one? 
I bought five yokes of oxen. I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. Third one, I have a wife. I'm not going to be there. Now this, this, this is comical, what Jesus is saying here. It really is, because it's so far-fetched. You've got to understand, for them, this is like, like the, the, the Jews that are sitting there are going, what are you saying? What are you talking about? Because cause here's what he's saying. He's saying, here's a person who's bought a field. I, all of a sudden, hey, the dinner bell's ringing. Come and get it. Oh, I bought a field. I need to go see what it's like. Now, who in the, who in the right mind goes and buys property without looking at it first? Now, okay, maybe people here do. I don't know. I don't. I, I just don't do that. In Palestine, you did not do that. Do you know why? In Palestine, you didn't go and buy property without looking at it first. Because there were so many things that you might have to do to the property. Talk about rocks. Now, we live in, I mean, this is an agricultural group, right? Talk about rocks. Talk about water. It's arid. It's a desert there. You don't just buy a property without knowing, hey, where's the sun come up? Where's the sunset? Is there water? How many rocks do I have to move, right? Here's a guy. He's just getting out of the dinner party. He doesn't want to be there, okay? And the second one here, he says, hey, I, I bought five, five uh, oxen, yoke of oxen. I bought five teams of oxen. I really should go look at them. Now, in that culture, I mean, we kind of miss in our culture because none of you have ox. Well, do any of you have an ox? <clears throat> no, I didn't think so, okay? If you do, you're weird. I don't know what you would do with your ox. But, but for them, they, they, they had ox, but the ox were meant to pull together. If you had a team of oxen, if you had two oxen, by the way, most people had one, maybe two, if you were pretty well off. This guy is really well off. Because he bought five, okay? And what did you do? You examined them beforehand. Why? Because if you have a strong one and you have a weak one, guess what happens to your rows? Right? You've got to have a team that pulls together. You would not ever. This is like going and buying a vehicle and not, and just like kicking the tire on it. Yep, looks good to me. Now what do you do? You take it for a test drive, Right? They would have done that. They would have said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this. I'm going to try to pull here. Let me just see how, it, how they handle. Okay? This guy didn't do that. I just bought five yoke of ox. I just got to go, hey, I got to check him out. Now, the point here, and I, I want you to understand this, verse 18, he says, they all alike began to make excuses. This is not like one person doing it. Hey, uh, I need you excuse me. They're going down the line, and they're all excusing themselves from the party. And if you think the other two are kind of outlandish, the third one is really outlandish. Hey, I've married a woman. I now have a wife. I'm going to be gone. Now, I've got, I understand we have some younger people here in the group. What is he saying? He's saying, hello, I'm now married, and I'm not going to be there. Because you know why. That's what he's saying. Now, if he had just gotten married, this is, this is why it, it makes no sense to him. If he had just gotten married, 
Under, under, in Deuteronomy, it's told that they were released from all their duties for a year. Now, they could choose probably come to a dinner party, but, but they certainly didn't have to. If they accepted an invitation, though, guess what? They're going to be there. Okay? Not only that, nobody's going to say, hey, I'm not going to come now because, well, you know. Right? That's what he's saying, though. That's what he's saying. And if he had just gotten married, guess who would have been at the wedding? All these guys. Right? Because they're high affluent people, and hey, if one of us gets married, we're all going to the wedding. Because it's a big seven-day celebration. We all know about it. Right? All of a sudden, here's a guy who says, I'm not going to be there. Sorry, I've got to head out. How awkward is that? Right? And that's exactly the point. None of this makes any sense. But they've all left. Notice what it says in verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to the master, and the master of the house became angry. Uh, most, all commentators will say, hey, this is a righteous anger. This is a righteous anger. We're going to talk about that here in a second. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the cripple, the blind, and the lame. By the way, does that sound familiar? It should. Because that's exactly what he told when he said, hey, you invited the wrong people. Right? Now he says, I want you to go out and invite all these sinners. Keep that in your mind. And the servant said, sir... What you've commanded has been done. And still, there's a whole lot of room. We've got tons of food yet. Right? We need more people. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that they may come into my house and be filled. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, this, these, this guy becomes angry. Why is he so angry? Because if you accept the first invitation... You're compelled to stay for the second invitation. You have to. It's a responsibility. In that culture, it was part of being responsive to a good host to say, yes, I'm coming. If you say you're coming, you're coming. You don't back out, especially when the dinner bell is being rung and they're bringing in the steaks, saying it's time to eat. Nobody leaves. They would all have been there to come and to feast at, at, at the meal. Well, um, in this situation, they have, um, they have rejected, they have rejected the host. Now, in our culture, maybe this isn't a big deal, but, but listen to what one commentator said about rejecting the second invitation. You ready? He said this, to reject a second invitation could be considered a declaration of war. To reject the second invitation could be considered a declaration of war. Why? Because you've just dishonored the host. You publicly have put to shame the host. Think about it. Here's a guy prepared all this food. He went through the painstaking process of preparing all this food, and all of a sudden, you're not now coming? Why would you do that to me? Because I hate you. That's, in that culture, that's what it meant. I hate you. 
I've got something against you, and therefore that's why I'm not, I'm not coming. It was a declaration of war to not come to the second invitation. And so the guy's angry, and rightfully so. And so what does he do? He, he goes out, and he, he's compelling guests now to come. He says, I want you to go out to the highways and the byways, and, and I want you to go and to try to find people that will come and, and come to our, our dinner banquet. Uh, interesting that we have this, this idea of, of where they're going. Uh, he, he starts off and he's going really to the area right around them. Okay? We're, we're, we're going here to the town, if you will. Okay? Uh, this, this inside the town, the people that would have been invited to this, that are inside the town, would have been the poor, the beggars, the indignant. Okay? These are not... These are not people that you normally would say, ooh, I want to invite them. Okay? Now, outside the town, when they go back out the outside the second time, these are the vagabonds, the sojourners, and those who were shunned by society. I want you to go get them. I want you to bring them in. Now, remember, what's wrong with all of these people? They're not the whitewashed... They're not the peacocks. They're the nobodies. And he's, he's saying, I want you to go and I want you to bring them in. He says, I want you to compel them to come in. Now, this is a very interesting word. Um, this is the Greek word, anakizo. Uh, it means to force. I want you to force them to come in. What do you mean? For, I want you to force somebody to come in. Well, that's exactly what it, what it actually means. That's what the word means. Okay? By the way, the, the crusaders, this is what they used as their way of going and forcing people to say, you are either going to become a Christians or, or else. We are compelling you to come in. By the way, that is not at all what this verse means. That he's not forcing people, but, but you have to understand the culture at that time and what, they were, what was happening and, and what was going on uh, when, when they did this. Um, Kenneth Bailey, in his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Now, this is a book that I really enjoyed because it was, just gave me great insight into the culture of what these people were going through. He says this in his book. He says, the key word here is compel. In the Middle East, the unexpected invitation must be refused. The refusal is all the more required if the guest is of a lower social rank than the host. So somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, would you like to come over? Would you like to come over and eat? If you're of a lower social or, uh, class than they are, you have to refuse. In fact, he goes on and says this. The unexpected guest may be half starving and in real need of the offer of the food, but there still is a, a deep cultural pressure to refuse the invitation. You have somebody up here of high social status, and they come up and they say, hey, would you come over? And you're of a lower social status. You have to say no. Because it's not right for you to be in their household. You must say no. And what do they have to do? They have to continue to compel you to come in. Please, 
please, please accept my offer. By the way, very interesting, I want to take, take you to one more place. Go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, it's going to be a couple pages over for you. Luke chapter 24. I, I, I never saw this before until I was reading this commentary and they pointed it out to me. Verse, uh, we, have, we have Jesus here and, and there's two men after Jesus' resurrection that are walking on the road to Emmaus. Okay? And, and they're, they're having this conversation about Jesus. And Jesus all of a sudden, of course, he's, he's in his resurrected body here on earth, hasn't ascended to the Father yet, but he walks up and he, he, he comes with them. He starts to sojourn with them. And they're walking along, and Jesus, they're, they're having these questions. Boy, I thought this Jesus, I thought he was really going to save us, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus, he starts to enlighten them on himself. And, and he gets to the point, drop down, where all of a sudden these people, are, they're, they're going to go off, and they're going to go, and they're going to go to the village where they were eating, okay? Verse 20, let's go to 28. So they drew near to the village in which they were going, and he, that's Jesus, acted as if he were going further. Okay? They're coming up, and there's a split in the road. You can kind of see it there. And, and these two guys are going to go this way, and Jesus, what is he doing? He's, going, he's acting like he's going to go further. Okay? But they urged him strongly, saying, Hey, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. And when he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized that it was him. And then he vanished from their sight. What did Jesus do there? Jesus is actually pulling out this cultural protocol. Jesus is saying, Jesus is planning to act like he's going to go further. They're taking this path, and they're saying, hey, why don't you come and stay with us? Oh, no, I couldn't. I, I simply can't. No, no, no. Really, come and stay with me. He's strongly urging them. By the way, fascinating. Who's the cultural elite in that story? Who's the high up and who's of the lower social class? You see it? The two that are going to the village are saying to Jesus, No, come. Jesus is saying, oh no, I can't. I simply can't. Why? Because I'm of a lower status than you. And they say to him, oh no, you must. They are compelling him. You must come and stay with us. And then Jesus, because of their compelling, he says, okay. And he goes and he stays with them. By the way, what's the heart of Jesus? Always humble. Do you see that? you see the humility that Jesus, even in that situation he portrays. Uh, Kenneth Bailey, he goes on to say this. He says this, when an outsider with, a, with no social status is invited to the banquet of the home of a nobleman, the outsider has a very hard time believing that he's really wanted. That kind of makes sense, I think, to us, doesn't it? On first exposure, grace is simply unbelievable. The recipient of the invitation will at once feel, they don't really want me. It's impossible. Look who I am. The intent of the invitation is to impress me with simply the nobility of the master. But the invitation itself is not serious. 
The messenger who delivers such an extraordinary invitation will need some special way to convince the outsiders that they're indeed invited and even wanted. Understanding this, the master suggests that when they are reluctant, when you find somebody who's reluctant, grab them by the hand and drag them in if you have to. I want you by all means to convince them that the invitation is indeed serious and that they are genuinely welcome and wanted in my banquet. That's why he has to compel them. It's not a sword to their back saying, you must come in. It's, it's them saying, I'm not worthy to come. No, we really want you to come. Compel people to come. You're not going to take a sword to anybody's back. But let's put some practical application to this as a, as a church. Are we, are we the high affluent, snobby peacocks? who think really highly of ourselves? I hope not. I, I, hope when, I hope when you have a dinner party that you're not just thinking about us. Now, I love having dinner with my fellow believers in Christ. Don't, don't ever get me wrong. But it's not just about us. It's not just about those who are inside these walls and we don't want any more. He says, I want you to go out and I want you to compel people. They are invited to the banquet. Go, grab them, hold them by the hand if you have to, and tell them, hey, you're wanted here. Now, if the situation wasn't tense enough, because Jesus is just given a parable, right? He's just given a story. Jump back into Luke chapter 14. I want you to look at the very last verse. Verse 24, Jesus says this, For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. You do know that, realize that Jesus is setting up a banquet for us. And he says, I've declared war against you. To those that are sitting at the table, he has dishonored them. You're not invited to my banquet. Why? Because you don't want me. You have to understand that this is all part of redemptive history. Okay? Back to Abraham. Back to Abraham. God says to Abraham, through you I will bless all people. And guess what? That's the first invitation. The first invitation goes out. How did the Jews respond? We have one God. One God, Yahweh. He is our God. Now, they went up and down. Let's be real, right? I mean, it wasn't always roses when it comes to the nation of Israel. But that was their God. What's the second invitation? What's the second invitation? What's the second invitation that goes out? Take your Bibles and go to the book of Galatians. We're almost done. I'm going to ask you to hang on. Go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Look at verses 4 through 7. Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law. When the time had come. In other words, ding, 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 ding. It's ready. 
to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of the son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In other words, Jesus comes on the scene. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Youth, what does that mean? What? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's what? Already not yet. In other words, he's saying, it's dinner time. And what did Keith read for us today? Uh, what, what is the dinner? What, what is that that we're feasting on? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That's why I had him read that passage today. I am the bread of life. If you want any part of me, if you want any part of the dinner feast, you need to accept me. You need to believe in me. Why? Because guess what? If you don't accept the second invitation, you have no part of me. You have no part of me. If you don't accept the second, nobody in the right mind would not accept the second invitation. But Jesus says, I came to my own and my own did not receive me. And so he goes to the sick, to the weak, to the Gentiles. How dare he go to the Gentiles? But why? Because it was for all people. It wasn't just for the Jews. It was for the Jews, but it, it was for us too. And Jesus, what does he do? He's up here and he says, Come, eat at my banquet. And what do we do? I can't. I can't. I can't eat at your banquet. No, you must really come. I can't. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. You gotta come. And and he takes my hand and he drags me in. And, and I'm sitting to myself. I'll eat the scraps. I'll sit in the corner. I'll I'll sit in the corner part of the table that where the table bends and. The, and he goes, oh no, oh no, you need to sit here. I can't sit there. I'm not worthy to sit there. Oh, but you must sit there. But why? Why do I have to sit? I, I can't sit there. I'm not worthy to sit there. Why do you want me to sit there? And he says to us, because the banquet has been prepared for you. It's for you. He made the banquet for you. You are the exalted guest. And guess what? You're his son. You're his daughter. And so many people go, I can't come. They're coming up with all these excuses that make absolutely no sense. And they're running. They never accept the second invitation. We must compel them. Jesus loves them. And he loves you. And if you're here for the first time, maybe all of a sudden this is making sense that he loves you. I'm not worthy. No, you're not. But he makes you worthy. Why? Because it's prepared for you. Come and feast of him. He is the banquet. Do you know him? 
Have you been refusing the banquet? Have you been refusing the offer? Are you ready to say, I'm going to humble myself because he was humble and I'm going to say, yeah, that's what I need. That's what I need. You know, maybe you're already sitting at the banquet. Can I encourage you to go out and compel people? We are not a holy huddle. There are seats open in here. We are called to go out and compel people. I, 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 and I don't, know, I, don't know how, I don't know how good these statistics are. I did this at 8.30 last night where I was sitting in my office and I just thought, practically speaking, how good are we at compelling people to come in? Only 2% of church people invite an unchurched person. 2% of churched people invite an unchurched person to church. 2%. Well, they won't, they won't accept. That's why I, I don't want to go out there and I don't want to offer because they probably won't come. Ah, wrong. 71% of unchurched say that they are likely to accept a personal invitation from a family member, a friend, or a neighbor. 71% will say yes if you invite them, but only 2% of you will actually invite them. There's some disconnect going on there. Compel them. Bring them in. Hallelujah. I stand at this and I'm amazed. Why? Because I'm not worthy. But is that not the message of grace? You're not worthy to sit at the table. And yet, he wants you there. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that despite who we are, you have incredible grace, mercy, which you pour out on us. Lord, you have been creating a feast for your people. It's an already, not yet. Jesus says, come and eat of me. And yet, Lord, we know the fulfillment of that has not already happened yet. But Lord, we wait patiently, longing for the day when we will feast with you in person. And yet, Lord, we are not worthy. But we thank you for a grace which we don't understand, but we accept. Because we know it's from you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song? grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled, grace, grace,
talk to somebody about accepting the Lord, to know that you can be invited to that banquet. One of our deacons is down here out in front, and he would love to talk to you and share with you how you can know for sure that you have a spot, the spot that's meant for you, a spot of honor at that banquet. Come and talk to him afterwards. Otherwise, you are dismissed. It's good to see you, Dan.